The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? All right. Over the weekend, I was doing a little reading up on Peter Sagal because, you know, I, I think you know this about me, but that's what I do every Saturday night. I don't know how else people spend their Saturday nights. But um, one of the facts that I saw this week, and I had actually not seen this before, was that he wrote a screenplay. Did you know this? I had no idea. Yeah, it's called Cuba Mind, and it's based on a real story about a 15-year-old American who moves to Cuba, and this is right before the revolution. So he writes this serious script, and it's in the 1990s when he's writing this, and it's got executions in it and real politics, but it's also kind of a romance, too. So he writes it, and it just sits on the shelf for over a decade, like so many scripts do. But 2004, somebody finds it, dusts it off, and finally, the movie gets made. Now, the movie's title, Dirty Dancing 2, Havana Nights. (laughs) So you're saying Peter Sagal wrote Dirty Dancing too? <laughs> I know, but this is true. I mean, it's kind of like one of those things in Hollywood <laughs> where even though Peter Sagal wrote the movie, they cut out all the words he wrote. In fact, he was quoted as basically saying this. Like, he claims there isn't a single line of dialogue left from the original. Oh, uh, that's They brutal. also stripped out all the political stuff, but, you know, they had to put something there. So instead, they just filled it all with dancing, which, you know, stays true to the name. And so it makes sense. That's pretty funny. You know, it does remind me of those poor writers in Hollywood who make like two hundred or $300,000 and they live in fancy houses and, and drive fancy cars, but their parents are super suspicious of what they do because they only work on like the fourth or fifth draft of bad movies and these movies never, ever get made. It's crazy. Yeah, it is very, very strange. But anyway, thinking about Peter Sagal made me wonder, like, why are movie economics so weird? How do so many terrible movies get made? And of course, why is it so hard to make a movie with lions? I know we both (laughs) wondered this for years. So we're finally going to answer that today. So let's dive in.
Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh Hatikater. And sitting on the other side of the soundproof glass, this is one of my favorites, Mango, dressed today as Dwayne The Rock Johnson from his favorite movie, The Tooth Fairy, Tooth Fairy. of course. <laughs> Man, such a good movie, such a great actor. But that's our friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. So, Mango, I know we wanted to talk about movies today, like little secrets about how they get made and what makes a one-star movie a masterpiece and other funny stories from movie sets. But before we get started, you know, one of the things I love to tell people is that you used to work in a video store because especially for the younger generations today, it kind of feels like nobody knows what a movie store is anymore. I know, it's from like a different era. And and I honestly loved video stores so much. Like going there as a kid, you'd spend so much time looking at movie covers and deliberating over which movie you'd want to watch because you'd only get to pick one. And, and then finally picking it out. Like, And as a clerk, I, I actually really loved recommending movies that I thought people would dig. But, you know, the, this is an aside. The best part of the video store I worked at, which is called Vizar in Durham, it, it was that it was this really fun and welcoming place. But Everyone who worked there except for me was a lesbian. And it was perfect because, like, I didn't know how to date or talk to girls. And, and this woman, Jory, like, she'd give me great advice on that. My car broke down all the time. She'd help me fix it all the time. And, and when she wasn't solving all of my life problems, we were just watching movies and talking about movies. And it was so yeah, great. It's a, it's a good thing here at Part-Time Genius. We never deal in stereotypes. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's great that worked out for you. But, the, you know, the, the funny thing to me was that uh, even at, like, an artsy movie store like that one, like, and it was one of those places where movies were organized by director, by country of origin, you'd still find so many terrible movies on the shelf. And, you know, Jory and I would, would often flag them with uh, these little uh, post-its that they had around. Uh, so I, I think there was a terrible one of Pam Anderson and, and this really horrible movie. And, and we put, like, as seen on PBS on the cover. Or, <laughs> or there's this, like, horrible low-budget adaptation of the Bible, and it just looked so bad. And, and we put better than the book on the cover. You know, <laughs> just really super helpful stuff. <laughs> I'm guessing you probably had at least a couple of frustrating customers over the years, but it was <laughs> such a great store. I, I remember it really well and love spending time there. But just to be clear for all of our listeners, we're, we're not snobby movie watchers. Like, we love terrible movies. And in fact, Mango, I, I know you want to talk at some point about why Tomb Raider is considered such a masterpiece. But before we do that, th there was something I've been collecting, just some quotes here. I, I wanted to read you a few of these quotes from Roger Ebert and specifically about movies he hated. So I've got a few of them written down, but here are a couple examples of just how brutal Roger Ebert could be when he talked about these, quote, alleged comedies. So trying to decide which ones to share here. So here's one from uh, Freddie Got Fingered. So here's what he says. This movie doesn't scrape the bottom of the barrel. This movie isn't the bottom of the barrel. This movie doesn't deserve to be mentioned in the same sentence with barrels. <laughs> I don't really know exactly what that means, but it's still just such a great quote. All right, and here's one about Spice World. Here's what he has to say about it. Spice World is obviously intended as a ripoff of A Hard Day's Night, which gave the Beatles to the movies. The huge difference, of course, is that the Beatles were talented. While, let's face it, the Spice Girls could be duplicated by any five women under the age of 30 standing in line at Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> I love that Dunkin' Donuts is the place that you need to find talent yeah, like that. <laughs> that, that. That's obviously where you find it. But man, he could be brutal when he didn't like a movie. Yeah, so, so obviously being a movie critic comes with its downsides and being forced to review movies you might not want to watch. But, well, you know, what, one of the things I think is funny is that Roger Ebert loved Laura Croft Tomb Raider. 
He <laughs> gave it three stars, and and that's despite the fact that it was almost universally panned. So I also found some quotes like that. This is from the Washington Post, and they called it quote remarkably joyless. The Wall Street Journal called it quote, flavorless, drab, violent in a bloodless way, and sexy in a sexless way. And the Austin Chronicle said, the game is great fun, but the movie should be taken out back and shot. So (laughs) obviously people had some pretty strong opinions of it, but whether you loved or hated this movie, what's fascinating is that it's considered a total masterpiece in Hollywood, and that's purely because of how the movie was financed. So I got this from the writer Edward J. Epstein, who discussed why, and, and basically he showed that executives at Paramount only spent $9 million to finance the movie. Like, this was a massive production. It's a total popcorn movie. It cost around $95 million to make. But mm-hmm. before the cameras started rolling, Paramount actually signed away the distribution rights to six European countries for $65 million. And then it decided to shoot part of the film in Britain, which I guess allowed it to qualify for some sort of tax relief. So there was this complicated scheme where they sold the film to British investors who got this massive tax break. It was like multi-million dollars. And then they sold it back to Paramount. So Paramount actually got another $12 million that way. And then they did the same thing in Germany. And before shooting a single frame, Paramount had already collected $90 million. Oh, wow. I know. And, And once they sold the TV rights to Paramount's sister company... They actually netted money before Tomb Raider hit theaters. Like, it was actually profitable before they released it, which is just so insane to me. And it also kind of makes me wonder, like, why was Laura Croft spending so much time raiding tombs when the real treasure was just finding a good accountant? That is pretty incredible. (laughs) So for all you British investors out there interested in helping part-time genius find some tax breaks, you know, we could use $12 million, you know? Anytime you want. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, let's, let's look into that. Well... You know, actually, every time we talk about tax shelters, it it actually reminds me of the episode we did a while back. I think we titled it, Where are the Sunniest Places to Hide Your Taxes? And in doing that episode, we realized that basically every James Bond movie takes place in a tax shelter. You think about Panama, Switzerland, Monaco, uh, the Cayman Islands. That's right. it's, It's pretty funny when you come up with the list of these, but... I know you learned a few more unusual things about the economics of movies. So do you you want to share just a few of those? Yeah. So one of the things I love is that product placement hasn't always been worth the money. So uh, this is an extreme example of it. But in Natural Born Killers, there's a story that Abilene Boots actually offered to give free boots to the entire cast if Oliver Stone put the name on a truck. So there's this one scene where Juliette Lewis's character is driving in a convertible, and she's driving towards the truck. And to get the shot of the logo, they had to get the car and the truck passing each other at the exact same time. But, you know, Oliver Stone's an artist. He wanted it in one take. So they started the shot a half mile away from each other and then drove (laughs) and used these walkie-talkies. And they were trying to get the pace of the vehicles just right. And it didn't work out for Oliver Stone's eye. It was just a disaster. So they tried again. They tried again. They basically lost a whole day or two of shooting. And it cost them about $300,000 a day. It was all just to get a free pair of boots. Isn't that insane? So the whole thing was just related to this product placement. I still don't fully understand the... The starting half a mile away thing, what, what, what would that achieve? It, I think you just want to get a long shot of it. Like, you want to yeah. get a beautiful, long crane shot of it. But, Got um, it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and now I guess there's digital stuff that you could figure out and, and slip in. But 
at the time, $300,000 a day for a pair of boots is, is yeah. definitely not worth that's, it. That's, I've never spent that much on boots. <laughs> the other thing that's totally crazy to me, and, and this might answer a little bit of a, like, why do terrible movies get made question, is that directors actually claim that they have to water down their movies just to make them suitable for teenagers. And according to Epstein, who's, you know, the Hollywood economist, that there are a few reasons why you want to market to teens. So some of them are obvious, like if you have product tie-ins or merchandise or fast food mentions or whatever, teens are just much more susceptible and likely to buy that stuff. Yeah. They're also predictably clustering around the same shows, like it's a less fragmented group. So you can buy ads and kind of reliably know where they are to build awareness. But the big reason movie studios make movies that are PG-13 and targeted teens is that they're the only demographic that's desperate to get out of the house. Like, (laughs) they're looking for any excuse to get away from their parents or their kids' siblings. So they're the group that needs the least convincing to go out on opening day and buy tickets. And apparently there's this whole marketing formula. I I think marketers try to hit you up with seven ads before a movie comes out. Like, you need that much exposure to build awareness. And and I don't know, it's really crazy to me, but, but it also makes sense. Yeah, it, it does make sense. And and I, I had a feeling that you were going to talk about teenagers and the movies. And so, you know, I, I keep hearing this thing from classic directors saying that they'd never be able to make their artsy movies today because they have to cater to teens so much. And in looking around at this, there's actually some pretty funny stuff online. But here's a little clip I just wanted to share. It's someone cutting up the Ten Commandments to play like a teen movie. So just take a quick listen to this. Peace up. At Pharaoh High. Ramsey's was the biggest player around. No doubt. But when the new kid in school... I am a stranger in a strange land. ...realized hanging with the in-crowd wasn't so easy, he took a stand. Man shall be ruled by law, not by the will of other men. Moses, Moses. Now the battle is on to see who can get the girl who will rule the school, and if a zero can become a hero. So let the games... Begin. So that was a little mashup trailer called 10 Things I Hate About the Commandments, and it was by Mike Dow. I definitely go see that. And Will, I, I know you've got some great facts you want to share about animals at the movies, but before we get into that, let's take a quick break. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. 
Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius, where we're talking terrible movies. So, Will, I know you wanted to tell some animal stories, which is usually my domain, but I like (laughs) that you're tackling it today. But before that, can I just read you a little list of things that you used to see that the movies and you no longer see? Sure. This comes from our old pal, Kara Kowalczyk, but here are a few things you no longer see at the movies. So, some of these are obvious, like uh, ashtrays. Uh, There used to be signs that read, ladies, please take off your hats everywhere, you know, just as a reminder, because that's when people used to get super dressed up for shows. But theaters also used to come with cry rooms which were these glass enclosures and soundproof rooms in the back of the theater. And that's so that parents could take their crying babies and still watch the movie without disturbing anyone. I, I really oh, kind of yeah, love that idea. I didn't know what you were gonna, where you were going to go with that. I was just assuming like if people just got too emotional, they could go somewhere without out being heard. So this was for the babies. Though. Yeah, for the babies who also get very emotional. Right. Um, <laughs> this one's uh, also interesting to me. Uh, theaters used to be much grander. So you think about those like red curtains that used to open up for the screens and, and and just how elaborate or ornate theaters used to be. But all of that changed in 1990 with this uh, Americans with Disabilities Act. They actually required that newer renovated theaters with more than 299 seats needed wheelchair access to all rows. So suddenly theaters started splitting up their bigger theaters or just started making smaller theaters to counter that. And it's crazy, but that's also why you started seeing three or four theaters at a place showing the same movie at similar showtimes. Huh. Yeah, I never thought about that. So my favorite old thing about uh, these old theaters was that, especially during the Depression, it was hard to get people to come to movies. So to get people to spend their money, they'd have these collectible dish nights. And the whole idea was that movies were a luxury, but husbands and wives could both agree that they could spend for a ticket or splurge for a ticket if they could also come home with a gravy boat or a coffee cup and saucer (laughs) and suddenly it made it more worth it. So these happen all across the nation. That's great. And uh, speaking of the Depression, this is the last one. That's actually part of what lifted popcorn sales. And I I didn't realize this, but initially popcorn vendors would actually stand outside of theaters and they were independent sellers and they'd sell to the public who were coming in. But then theaters got greedy, realized they could sell the stuff themselves. And now popcorn is obviously this hugely valuable thing and keeps theaters alive. But, you know, apparently ounce for ounce, movie theater popcorn actually costs more than filet mignon. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they Isn't do sell a ton of it. Yeah, I've actually read that theaters put things in the popcorn to make the smell waft more, and that that's not that surprising. But, I mean, it does explain why when you're sitting there, it just fills up the theater, makes people more hungry for it. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. All right, well, on a different topic related to just weird things in movies and funny things about movies, I know one of our favorite facts is, is how the Coen brothers complained that the cat that they used in Inside Lewin Davis was so awful to work with. Of course, this comes as no surprise to me, but you know, they kind of just had to wait for the cat to do what they wanted. Like, you'd find a cat that liked to jump, and then you'd put it in a scene— 
start rolling, and then you just have to wait for it to jump. And it drove them crazy. It's something I haven't thought a ton about, but I can only imagine how difficult that is when you've got animals and you're trying to get them to do you know, like a very specific thing, and especially with cats. I know, and with tight budgets and directors wanting to play God, you know, not having yeah. an animal act to your will is, I'm sure, difficult. And I, I actually love stories of animals ruining scenes. There's this uh, story from Raiders of the Lost Ark where Steven Spielberg was really irritated because instead of fleeing from a fire, the snakes kept going closer and closer to it to warm themselves. And at one point, he was so frustrated that he picked up a snake, looked in the face and told him something like, you're supposed to hate fires. You're ruining my movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope they, they listen to him closely. <laughs> you know, I, I do love the care that animal handlers use on set, and it even extends to the smallest of creatures, like insects, for example. There was a few examples of this, but course, you know the old movie Shawshank Redemption, such uh-huh. a terrific movie. And, you know, the old prisoner Brooks in the film, he fed a live maggot to his pet crow. And it went against all animal regulations when he did this. So the crew actually found a grub that had, quote, died of natural causes and used that for the film. <laughs> but that's actually not even the craziest case that I came across here. I think the best story might be from Silence of the Lambs, where they had over 300 tomato hornworm moths on set, and, and they were all treated like these little divas. So <laughs> first, when they traveled, the moths all flew first class. I'm sure this was in all of their contract riders. <laughs> and I don't know why we know this detail, but we do. And then they were put up in a room with perfect climate for them. So exact humidity, temperature conditions, everything that was ideal for them. But the craziest part, when they were on set, they were all put in these tiny little harnesses for those high-speed stunts. And (laughs) it almost makes me surprised they didn't outfit them in these tiny little helmets as well. But it's just pretty great. Like Silence of the Lambs is still held up as the prime example of how to care for animals on set because not one of those 300-plus moths was hurt on set. Plus, the producers even found a retirement home for all the moths and that they, you know, they became roommates with the animal wrangler on set and lived out the rest of their natural lives with them. So I, I love that tiny harness fact. And I, I never would have imagined that there were 300 moths involved in the filming. But, you know, I, I am curious, what is the lifespan of a tomato moth? Well, I think it's like two to three weeks, but but don't pay attention to that. The key part is that they were comfortable, Mango, comfortable for the rest of their lives. I do like that. So what else do you got? All right. Well, I wanted to talk for a minute about the movie Roar, which is, you know, the craziest and possibly worst movie that involves animals. Actually, there's some photos of the making of this movie from Life magazine that are just bizarre to look at. You should You should look them up online. There are photos of Tippi Hedren looking into her fridge and a lion peeking in, too. There's one of a lion asleep at her feet, which just makes lion looks like these giant house cats. But then there's another one of a lion with its jaws and its paws just kind of gently placed around a kid's head at the swimming pool. You've seen this before? I just pulled this up. It's ridiculous. How is this happening? It is terrifying. I have no idea. But this, it actually kind of ties back to the economics here because... Roar's considered one of the biggest disasters of indie filmmaking. Basically, Tippi Hedren, who was terrified of birds, of course, if you remember, that's Alfred Hitchcock took advantage of this by throwing live birds at her in the movie Birds. Birds, But she was not at all afraid of lions. Like, she'd somehow fallen in love with these creatures on a trip to Africa. She and her husband at the time, his name's Noel Marshall, they dreamed up this idea of doing a movie with real lions. 
And the plot was about a family of conservationists who go to a home in Africa. They're told that the lions at the place won't harm you if you just don't act scared or something like that. I mean, (laughs) the, the movie doesn't really make sense and the plot isn't important to this story. But to make the movie, Tippi and her husband actually asked this animal wrangler to get them 50 tame lions to work with. I mean, just an absurd request. That's insane. Obviously, this wasn't possible, but what he did do was he started introducing young lions to them so that they could foster these lions, and then they would be growing up with humans. So for 11 years, and this was on and off, but Tibby Hedren and her family actually had live lions at their home, and then they chewed here and there, and they put their children in the film, too. Now, of course, I, I don't know if everybody knows this, but Melanie Griffith, who's Tippi Hedren's daughter, she quit the movie at one point because she saw two lions tussling in the front yard. And she then told her mom that she didn't want to lose her face to a lion. Which <laughs> that seems reasonable. <laughs> I got to be honest. Yeah, that seems reasonable to me. So I, I don't understand why that maybe wasn't a little bit of a wake up call. But, you know, the filming was a disaster. Not only did Tippy and her husband keep running out of money for filming, people also kept getting hurt along the way. I mean, not the animals. I, I, in fact, I think no animals were hurt in the process of this, but something like 80 cast members were, which I think wow. is probably a record, at least was a record <laughs> at that point. And the movie cost, I think it was like $18 million and then only made $2 million. Now, I'm not an economist, and I don't know a ton about movie making, but that feels like maybe that was a failure. Yeah, Um, losing $16 million feels like a failure. Yeah, yeah, but it just goes on and on. Like, not surprisingly, it ruined their marriage. They end up getting divorced soon after, but there is one good thing that came out of it. So while Tippi Hedren did come out of this experience believing that lions don't make great house pets, Her love for them only grew, and so she started the Shambhala Animal Sanctuary. This is out in California, and many big animals end up there. So when Michael Jackson's home zoo was shut down, for example, Shambhala adopted his tigers. Oh, that's insane. You know, I I heard you wanting to talk about animals, and I just assumed you were going to talk about Rin Tin Tin. And you know this whole story about uh, (laughs) how he should have won the first Oscar. Like, Susan Orlean wrote this in her book about Rin Tin Tin that uh, he got more votes for Best Actor in the first award ceremony. But the Academy (laughs) thought it would set a bad precedent, so they rigged the awards for a human to win. And, uh, you know, the New York Times reported this. Susan Orlean said it was true. And... Everyone, you know, acknowledged that Rin Tin Tin was the biggest movie star at the time. But what's funny is that the Academy actually disputes this history and says Rin Tin Tin was never on the ballot at all, which, you know, adds a little intrigue to this wonderful fact that everyone keeps talking about. Yeah, and it's still still a nice story either way. But all right, well, how about we take a little break, then come back with a few of the strangest, most influential movies of all time. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. 
a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. So before we get to a fact off Mango, why don't we do a little back and forth on, you know, some of the strangest movies that have, I guess, what you consider surprising impacts on the world. And there's some easy ones that people might already know about. I'm not sure. But for example, I think before the movie Amelie came out, there were like a dozen kids named Amelie in England and Wells. And then after the film came out, there were over a thousand kids a year who got the name Amelie. Oh, wow. And you see this trend also with things like haircuts. Like this is one of my favorite facts as it relates to movies. But all right, there's this famous story about how after Titanic came out, the Taliban shut down any barbershop that was giving out Leonardo DiCaprio haircuts <laughs> because boys were just going crazy for them. Now, there is not much funny about the Taliban, but I can't help it. That is just a funny and bizarre fact. I don't think about the Titanic that much, and I certainly don't think about Leonardo DiCaprio's haircut that much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty great. All right, well, well, what's your favorite story about a movie that had a surprising impact on the world? So I guess for a quick one, maybe something like Bambi. And I know the animation style was completely different from everything else, but I like that it might have actually launched Stephen King's career. Really? He often refers to Bambi as the first horror movie he ever saw. <laughs> <laughs> but in a bigger way, I actually think Borat might have had one of the most surprising impacts on the country. And um, obviously in the movie, we've got Sasha Baron Cohen. He's making fun of Kazakhstan. Some people saw it as harmless and nonsensical and, and you know, just as a joke. But yeah. that's not at all how the Kazakh people saw it. Like when the movie came out, Kazakhstan's president actually forced President Bush into a meeting just to discuss how the film was negatively depicting the country. Hmm. And he actually did the same thing with European leaders. But the interesting thing is that the film kind of had a point. So the country had at that time just fallen into corruption. And it was kind of easy to pick on the country because it hadn't formed much of a national identity post leaving the USSR. But after the film, They started working to bring in European businessmen. They started showcasing how business-friendly and progressive the country was. They they worked on tourism campaigns, and oddly, the film actually made people want to visit. And then they even invested in their first state-produced film about Genghis Khan. It was called Mongol. I don't know if you remember this. It was actually nominated for Mm -hmm. an Oscar. But 
it was all a way for the country to try to reclaim and celebrate its history while showing there's a thriving and beautiful modern industry there. And and I think it's kind of amazing that Borat is really the thing that spurred all of this. And I'm sure that was his goal from the very beginning. <laughs> but, uh... Definitely. All right. Well, I've got a uh, a couple more that I wanted to share. You know, I, of course, you know, I love the movie The Big Lebowski, and mm-hmm. it, it brought the word "dude" back to the world. And I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but <laughs> it also spawned the little cult or religion that was called the Church of the Latter Day Dude. And I mean, mostly, of course, this was a joke, but you know, it was based on things like taking long baths and bowling, and of course, drinking White Russians, sure. and I guess a little bit of Taoism, but. You know, back in 2010, the church had over 80,000 Dudist priests, which you know, I think is no small feat. But um, actually, I, I didn't want to end on that one. I, I kind of wanted to end on a sweeter story, and that's about the movie Do the Right Thing, which is, of course, wonderful and important in its own right. But it has this second legacy that it's actually the first movie the Obamas saw together when they were a young couple. In fact, according to Barack, it it kind of sealed their dating status, and it was the first time Michelle allowed him to touch her knee. And as the former president told Spike Lee when he met him for the first time, I owe you a lot. Oh, I love that. So why don't we end on that note and kick off the fact off? Did you know that Steven Spielberg opted not to direct Harry Potter movies because it was too easy for him? Here's what he actually said about it. Directing those movies is, quote, just like withdrawing a billion dollars and putting it into your own personal bank accounts. There's no challenge. Wow. I'd say you're in a pretty good position when you're like, you know what, the millions and millions or hundreds of millions of dollars I could make from that. I'm just not that interested in that. Too easy. Yeah. Wow. Actually, there was this This American Life a month or so back about him and how a high school inspired him to direct Amistad, and it was so good. I, did you listen to this episode? I haven't heard that. Yeah, but you should definitely listen to it for, for all our listeners if you haven't already. All right, well, on a completely different note, I, I don't think I even remembered Broccoli playing a big role in the movie Inside Out, but apparently kids felt that it did. And so in the Japanese version of the movie, the vegetable was changed to bell peppers because quote, they are more universally hated by Japanese children. (laughs) That's crazy. So here's a fun one. A British filmmaker named Charles Lyne raised $9,000 to make a 10-hour movie about paint drying. And you (laughs) might wonder, but why would you make a 10-hour movie of just paint drying? And it was basically an FU to the British censorship board. He did it just to force a couple of censors to have to watch 10 hours of paint drying. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually pretty funny, even if it is evil at the same time. I love that it cost $9,000 just to do that. All right, well, did you know that the only time White Castle has made a vegetarian burger was for Harold and Kumar? So apparently Cal Penn is vegetarian, so White Castle obliged, but only that one time, which isn't that shocking, but it is pretty funny to imagine what this vegetarian burger looked and and tasted like. I can't even imagine. I know. Now that I know they can make a veggie burger, I want to try it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you should demand it. (laughs) So here's a little fact I love about the movie Drive. A woman in 2011 sued the movie's distributors for false advertising because, quote, it had very little driving. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she's got a point. So, yeah. All right. Well, here's a fun one I learned about the movie Sleepless in Seattle. There's a writer pitching a story in Meg Ryan's office about this guy who sells, quote, the greatest soup you've ever eaten, 
while also being the meanest man in America. And if you listen closely to this part, you know they're talking about doing a story on the soup Nazi. And the greatest thing about this is it was actually a few years before the soup Nazi became that, you know, big plot point on Seinfeld. That's pretty amazing. I'd never heard that. So here's one about uh, Quentin Tarantino when he was still starting out. At the time, he was living on his friend Linda Chen's couch, and she was a typist, and she'd actually agreed to do some typing for him if he just house-sat her pet rabbit. And of course, Tarantino is a great scriptwriter, but not a good bunny sitter, and the rabbit sadly died under his watch. But to make up for it, he named one of the characters in the film for the pet. But if you remember, in the beginning of Pulp Fiction, there's this robber who goes by the name Honey Bunny, and that's actually named for Chen's rabbit. Huh. I'd never heard that. All right, well, I know we've done a few Steven Spielberg facts here, but this one's got to be tough to beat. So he was filming Schindler's List, and obviously this is a very heavy and difficult topic, and the cast would not surprisingly get pretty depressed while they were filming this. So every once in a while, he would try to change the mood for the cast. He'd just call up his friend Robin Williams, put him on the speakerphone, and the comedian would immediately start reeling off jokes. And that, of course, helped cheer everybody up. Oh, I love that. I actually miss Robin Williams. And I I had a different story about him. Uh, During the filming of Mrs. Doubtfire, he wasn't sure if the costume was believable enough. So he wore it to an adult bookstore and just made (laughs) all these ridiculous purchases. And when (laughs) no one recognized him in character, he decided the costume was believable enough. But (laughs) That's pretty great. uh, But I I do think your fact is too good. And uh, you definitely win today's fact off. Wow. I don't know. That's a pretty good fact, Mango. But you know what? You've already given it, so I'm going to take it. But uh, <laughs> thank you very much, and thank you guys for listening. We always love hearing facts from you, and I know there's so many great movie facts out there. We'd love to hear those from you. You can always email us, parttimegenius at howstuffworks.com, or you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. But thanks so much for listening. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. (laughs) Jerry Rowland does the exec producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eve Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Do we, do we forget Jason? Jason who? If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. 
And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 